but in the career that you had, what's like the best experience that it's just like, oh my God, this was so much fun. Not the parties. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, no, no, I, I appreciate that. There was, there was, um, there's a, I mean, being able to travel. Now, I will say that that's one of the reasons why I've been able to stay in LA so long because mm. I actually, you know, save for a party. Um, I find it a pretty boring place. Um, there's some really great innate culture that's here that I've discovered over the years. I, you know, I love the beach. Uh, you know, I love the terrain. I love the hiking. I love being being able to be outside a lot. That's mm-hmm. just who I am. I was a boy scout. Yeah. Um, but I would have to say that one of the crowning experiences of my career and kind of when you say okay this is why I do this mm-hmm. this is why I learned all this Stuff. dumb <laughs> minutia yeah. about how things get done Yeah, was um, when I produced the uh, it's a compilation record, a compilation CD called mm-hmm. Changes Now. Mm-hmm. Changes Now was the official presidential um, music uh, for the Obama administration. That's big. So um, we had, in 2008, we had done a compilation album in mm-hmm. Hidden Beach called, oh goodness, I should remember the name of it, but I don't. But it was really great record where we had all these different artists who believed in the notion of change do this compilation album. And we took, uh, Steve McKeever was the executive producer and the producer of the record. And he, we, we wove all these different parts of his speeches into mm-hmm. these songs. So mm-hmm. it was really cool. And then after he won, mm-hmm. um, we said, well, you should do an exclusive collection just for the inauguration. Right. So we did the presidential inaugural collection. It was called Changes Now. And by the time they greenlit the, the project and said, okay, we want you to do it, we only had like maybe five weeks wow. before the inauguration. And... Um, <laughs> they had to hop on the good foot. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, because it usually takes 90 days, three months to produce a CD from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, this was a really cool collection because not only did it have the music and stuff like that, it also had a companion DVD mm-hmm. of five of his major speeches from the campaign. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was not only producing the music and the CD, which probably could have gotten done maybe in three weeks mm-hmm. through a third-party production house like um, disc makers, but we also had to produce this DVD. So it's getting the masters done, getting the getting the the, the master DVD done, and then the stampers and all that kind of stuff. Getting it assembled mm-hmm. and getting it to the Washington Convention Center. Right, right, right. On time. On time. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember um, finally getting a manufacturer in Maryland mm-hmm. who could do this for me. And um, the day that we had to deliver the CDs, <laughs> I had the master for the DVD flown in from the manufacturer in Brooklyn okay. into Maryland. Mm-hmm. 
the master couriered to the manufacturer and I stood there mm -hmm. while they manufactured the DVDs, assembled all the various elements, shrunk wrap it, uh, put it in the old card, shrunk wrap it, put it in boxes, and stuck it in the back of my rental car. Mm -hmm. And at 7 o'clock p.m., I pulled up in front of the Washington Convention Center and met the person from the Presidential Inaugural Committee to deliver the product. Wow. I'm getting chills thinking about it. I know. Because yeah, I remember. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I'm going to be late. Yeah. Like, President Obama's going to be upset with me. Yeah, no, you don't want that. <laughs> right? I was like, I cannot believe we did that. Mm. I cannot believe we did it. And it was a team effort. I can't take credit for all of it, but all I know is, thank God I knew how to get it done. Yeah. How, what needed to happen to get it done. First of all, this, 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 and this. And to be able to predict where the breakdown could happen. Yeah, Because, yeah, you know, yeah. sometimes you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Right, right, right. This I knew. Yeah, exactly. You know? So I was like, okay, one of the happiest moments of my life. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's it. That's a compelling story, man. Like, that right there is motivating within itself. You know, having such a short window for this big opportunity and having to get your team on board and be on the same uh, track that you're on, you know, as far as speed and, you know, and um, what do you call that word? Um, oh, my God, not how the word when you're... Urgency. Urgency. Oh. Urgency. Yeah. And having everybody on that same wave and then executing according to plan, which is amazing, yeah. man. It was crazy. And I had a, one of my really good friends of me from who I had met out here, who was now living in the D.C. area, was with me, helped me load the CDs up in the back of the car and drive to the convention center and unload these CDs. I think we we had, we had the initial order was like 7,500 or whatever, and I had to get 2,500 CDs to them just the first day. And then the next day, they were going to deliver the rest of the 5,000. Mm -hmm. I think these numbers are right. <laughs> In theory, this is what happened. Yeah. So we got those there the first day. It was like for a ball or something they were having. Mm -hmm. So we needed them. Yeah. And I was just like, this is amazing. I cannot believe that this is happening. And it was just like, for me, you know, it just kind of goes back to why I do what it is that I do. Mm -hmm. You know, I, you know, when in 1997, I was working at A&M Records, and Bad Boy was big on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Death Row was big out here. Things were starting to, to bubble in Atlanta, mm -hmm. and uh, Soul So Death and, and whatnot was happening down in Atlanta. And the company, this wonderful company that it was my favorite record company for years, was Al Alpert and Moss was A and M. So mm -hmm. Herb Alpert, uh, who you probably don't know, mm -hmm. but uh, amazing. I mean, he was great, a trumpet player. And um, but like everybody on the label, Quincy Jones was signed to AM, mm. Janet Jackson was signed to AM, the Carpenters, the Kevin Tennille, uh, Carol King, um, Barry White, CeCe Peniston, wow. on and on and on. And then Jam and Lewis did their deal with them. So, mm. and Nesby, Sounds of Blackness, Mint Condition, you know, low key. Yeah, yeah. All, all, I was just like, then when I got there, everybody was like, oh, I've been here 15 years, I've been here 10 years, I've been here 20 years, I've been here 25 years. I was like, ah. Oh. I saw the sign of relief. Yeah. Year later, they decided to make a left-hand turn into urban. Didn't know, didn't have any experience, expertise, or nothing. They just did a whole bunch of deals with all the different people and crossed their fingers that it would work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to be part of this. Ah, you don't know where it's going. I do not want to be part of this. <laughs> and I said, I'm not going to use my gifts. Oh, love Ice Cube for what he does. 
and particularly at that time. Uh, but they did the soundtrack for um, the Players Club. So we mm-hmm. Clubbin was the mm-hmm. record from whatever. And I was just like, and they did all these other, I was like, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to use my gifts to put that out in the universe. I don't want to do that anymore. And that was basically what pushed me out the door to start what was then Fortress Marketing, which became yeah. the Ovation Agency. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was 97. So 11 years later, I'm doing this project for President Obama. It sounds like it was the right move. It, but it fits what was in your heart. In my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, if it, it fit, that was like, you know, I mean, it had to be ordered, you know? Back yeah. to the top of the conversation mm-hmm. about God and spirit and doing the things and having your steps ordered and using your, using your gifts for good. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it was the highest example of that. Mm. I actually wound up at Hidden Beach because of spirit. I, um, in 96, I had uh, started going to uh, this spiritual center called Agape. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of The Secret? Or you heard of the uh, the um, law of attraction? You probably heard of this guy named Michael Beckwith. Mm-hmm. And so there's a congregation out here. It's called Agape, the Agape uh, International Spiritual Center. And uh, turns out that Stephen McKeever, the head of Hidden Beach, also went to the same church. Mm-hmm. He was executive vice president of Motown president of Mojazz mm-hmm. and I was doing marketing for some of the Mojazz artists and and the uh, Motown artists and uh, they had sold the company Motown had been sold to Universal mm-hmm. Pogman had sold it and um, so he left the company and that's when he quietly started Hidden Beach and one day I, I ran across him at this burger joint mm-hmm. not too far from the office it was lunch and he says uh, oh I'm starting this label you gotta and I signed Brenda Russell. You have to come here. Now Brenda Russell, amazing songwriter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember when I went to college, I, I wore out her cassette. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, uh, I wanna come. So I came and ironically, she was a member of Agape. Okay. So all of these spiritual themes were woven into the lyrics of her music. And mm-hmm. I was just like <sighs> and I was like Oh wow, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. So after my meeting, I um I went home and started doing this and this and after about a month I was like, you know, I, I need a check. So I tried to <laughs> I need a check. Hold on, hold on. I'm working a little too hard. I ain't yeah. sleeping for like three days. Yeah, <laughs> I need a check. So I I, I I tried to get Steve on the phone, he was busy because it was the two person shop at the time. Mm-hmm. So I just sent him an invoice. And he calls me a couple days later. He says, man, I'm going to pay you money, man. Mm. Hey, guys. Can you pause? Yeah, that's fine. Oh, thank you. So sorry. Am I interrupting? I'm so sorry. We can come back another day. Okay, no problem. Thank you. I appreciate it. Carry on. So he says, I'm going to send you a check. He says, I'm, I said, um, okay. You'll end this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I sent him an invoice. Mm-hmm. So he calls me a couple of days later and he says, I got your invoice. I'm going to pay you more than that. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay. Yeah. And that was the beginning. Mm-hmm. That was October of 99. So for the better part of the next 15 years, I was slugging it out in the trenches with uh, Steve and Roger and Chris and whoever else. And, and, and Charles. Mm-hmm. Charles, who actually 
convinced Steve that he needed to start this label and brought um, uh, Michael Jordan to the table mm. to be one of the marquee investors and stuff like that. So it was a it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I would never trade it for anything. You know, every this you know, like with anything, there's there's glory and of course there's you know, the blood on the floor. That's what I wanted to get to. What was the worst experience you've had? Oh God. So the best experience was the Obama. What was the worst? Wow. What was the worst? Oh, you can name drop. It's fine. No, 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 no. <laughs> trust me, it will be found. Whew. Okay, I'm, there, there are two things. One, I'm going. I'm. I'm really going to tell. The, I'm going. All right. I'm going to tell two stories. Okay. Um, one just falls under the umbrella of being misunderstood. Okay. Okay. So when I was uh, when I first got to Mercury, you know, mm -hmm. I never thought of myself as some like a hot shot or anything like that. I was just somebody who saw things through a different lens, you know, mm -hmm. and. As a consequence um, of not kind of speaking the language, being an outsider, mm -hmm. um, there were people in the company who resented me and tried to get rid of me. And mm. it convinced my upline, um, not my boss, but I guess it would have been her boss, mm. or maybe her boss's boss, um, that I need to be the, the decision maker. Clearly. Mm -hmm. So they wrote me up, and they were like, okay, you have to do this, 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 and this. Now, the main thing was, because at that time, in particular, the, the rudimentary nuts and bolts of the music industry were always radio and retail. You had to be able to market through radio and retail, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, there was a time when, when radio playlists were looser, um, so getting records on the radio was easier. Mm -hmm. right? And retail being the robust uh, vehicle that it was at the time, you know, people would go, just go to the record store and say, well, what do you have new? Mm -hmm. You know? It's kind of like going to the streaming service and saying, putting in, you know, typing in R&B ballads and seeing what comes up. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay? So, you had to know those environments. And I definitely understood that, that was true. But I also had these other ideas. Mm -hmm. So, they put me on probation. They said that I had to go learn um, retail. I had to go radio. I had to go out with the artists. I had to do all this stuff. Truthfully, all they were doing was giving me license to do the stuff that I wanted to do anyway. Exactly. So I was Write running, me up some more. Right. <laughs> so I was, like, so I, I was running around with Black Sheep and the Legion and, and Ultra Magnetic and, you know, all these, you know, great rap groups. And remember, you know, 10 years before that, I was in the park in Brooklyn and the Bronx mm -hmm. and everything. So this is like, oh, shit, this, this is... This is this, my alley. This is what I wanted to do. Yeah. So, you know, Thanks, wrote, Ross. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so it, was, it all worked out great. Um, and um, for me, because I was excited, mm -hmm. you know, I would drive the band down to D.C. and we'd do shows at, you know, you know, Dunbar High School and in the club and in the Bronx. And it was, I was just, you know, it was Latin quarters. And yeah. it, it was just amazing. And so when I, you know, gave my little report back, they were like, okay, well, you pass with flying colors. And my boss says to me, not my boss, but my I'm like, he says, I'm still watching you. And I'm like, okay. Well, unbeknownst to them, mm -hmm. people had been watching me. Mm -hmm. And a month later, I was offered a job, an offer that I couldn't refuse. 
And so I marched in there with my letter of resignation and promptly packed up my stuff and moved back out here to L.A. Mm. It was so painful because to, to, to not be understood. It was so painful to not be understood. But it was also gratifying that once I started this new job, you know, we would sit and I would talk with, with my, my new boss. And she said, one of the things I really like about you is that you don't do cookie-cutter marketing. You approach each project and come up with a unique plan for its own merits. So many people are just checking them off. As, and I was like, thank you. I'm glad that you see that that's, that's what it is I do. I didn't realize that that was anything different. Mm -hmm. I just was doing what I thought was the right thing. Right. Right? There was another story about disappointment um, that is probably... It doesn't linger with me anymore, but at the time, you know, when I would realize what was what's going on, I was I was really amazed. But I had been told very early in my career, one of the reasons why I don't really have any pictures from my early part of my career mm -hmm. is you gotta be careful that the artist never thinks that you're a fan. Right? So you Why is that before you continue? Why is Well, that? because if they think you're a fan Fan. They want you want to be perceived as a professional. You don't want to be perceived as a fan, right? Because a fan is somebody who, and, and, and of course, the the meaning has shifted a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. we and in a social media context, influencers and mm -hmm. things of that nature, the notion of word of mouth marketing. You want your, your fans are very important to you, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, especially their super fans, the mm -hmm. ones that are, who are going to be the influencers, the people who are going to be the early adopters the, the, uh, and, and spread the word. And project, campaign for you. And campaign on your behalf. Mm -hmm. um, but it was the idea of maintaining a, a, a bit of distance and, and this notion of respect for your role um, and respect for their role as an artist, right? Gotcha. So if you're a fan... You're somebody who might even be able to be co-opted or taken advantage of or whatever. So you wanted to be perceived as a professional and not as a fan. Mm. You understand know what I'm saying? No, I understand. It sounds like it's all in your actions. You know what I'm saying? You want to carry yourself. You want to get the job done that you were assigned there to do. But I think, you know, you can still be a fan of the person. You don't have to be like a groupie or, yeah. you know, just like worship them. No, you're still there to do a job. But you can still appreciate their craft because... Well, you know, it's also like a different. Person. It's a... And... I have, I mean, I have been come like almost family friends with with some of my artists from early in my career, but it's it, it it it's been over the course of time. But the main thing out of that was the notion that you know there needed to be this kind of you know barrier, yeah, invisible like a glass wall, mm -hmm. if you would. And um, so early in my career, I didn't really have many pictures because one of my first marketing bosses was like, don't don't ask for pictures with your talent, except for like in the context of something official, like so if you're at, a, at a radio station. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're almost done. Sorry about that. So if you're like an award show, if you're, at a if you're at a radio station, or if you're at some official thing, a plaque ceremony or something like that, it's one thing, but just like... If you're like doing a promo tour and you're out on, uh, you know, you know, going from radio station to radio station and you're having lunch, or whatever, you know, go, oh, but let me take, you know, they didn't even have selfies back then. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, somebody take a picture.
picture fest. Uh, right, you know. Like, yep, right, don't click. Right, right, right. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right you know, move, advancing the film. Yeah, right? exactly. No, that, that was like verboten. So, um, fast forward, you know, 15 years, and I'm working my ass off for this artist. And some crazy stuff started to happen, and I got into it with the artist manager. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, the artist doesn't care about what I'm doing. I mean, you know, and you know what? I'm going to pay attention to the, all these other acts that I have, you know, who really need my attention, since they don't really want my attention. Mm -hmm. I said, so you just tell them that. Mm -hmm. So the next day they called me. Oh, I hear you think that I don't appreciate you. I was like, uh, okay, well, you know, I appreciate the phone call, whatever like that. And I kind of hung up and looked at the phone. I was just like, oh, that was a crock. Yeah. Right? Years later, I really got to the bottom of what that was all about. And I understood for some unbeknownst reason to me that never really can be explained by anybody, apparently one of the artists that I've worked with who's been the most successful didn't like me. Really? How did you come to find that out? Oh, it was told straight out. Oh, shit. <laughs> they didn't tell me straight out, but the people around them told me. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, she doesn't really like you. But did you guys continue to work? Eventually, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, eventually, no. And I mean, I'm being kind of vague about it. And I don't know, maybe one day I write a book. But the, the, the key thing of that was, you know, Fortunately, I'm a professional, mm -hmm. and I'm doing what it is I'm doing because I want to do a good job. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. It goes back to, does it matter if you're getting a seat and that the audience knows? Right. Right? To you, it does. To me, it does. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to do a good job. Yeah. You know? So, again and again and again and again, you put your foot forward, foot, foot forward. And when you discover that, that, that the person for whom you're, like, shedding blood, setting tears doesn't like you, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a blow. A know? kind of a blow? I mean, I, I mean, I feel you. you At know? the time, it was devastating. I mean, yeah, I get that. And then I had to man up and be like, you know what? This is for me. That Grammy we just won mm -hmm. was for me. Right. Exactly. Maybe you needed that. You needed to feel that. God kind of put that situation in front of you to kind of toughen your skin for something in the future to, that might come. Good point. Well, it might not come. A very good point. Mm -hmm. Very good point. There's always a reason for everything. Everything happens for a reason.